0: This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 135 for July 2019, with Dr. R. Scott Clark on the Canons of Dort.
1: Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson.
0: I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 135 for July 2019 with Dr. R. Scott Clark. Scott is professor of church history and historical theology at Westminster Seminary in Escondido, California. He also runs Heidelblog, where you can find his podcast, The Heidelcast. He joins me this month for some church history discussion. We're going to talk about the canons of Dort. Show notes for this episode will be on the lighter side, but are available, and I'd encourage you to check out the additional resources section, where I'll have links to some of Dr. Clark's other materials on the subject. He did a few other podcasts uh, recently, as we're in the midst of an anniversary of the Canons of Dort. I'll throw uh, some links to that into the additional resources section, as well as some other links to uh, resources on the Canons of Dort as well. You can find that at echozoi.com slash 135. Just a reminder, also, new Lessons and Logic videos continue to be posted on a nearly weekly basis. These are short two- to four-minute videos about logical fallacies, and you can find those at the Echo Ministries YouTube page. Finally, before we begin, last month I mentioned the fundraiser for basic ministry expenses, and I wanted to thank the donor who took care of the entire fundraiser with a single donation. Asking for money is not always an easy thing for anyone to do. And so I want to follow up with that by asking if you're able, would you please uh, consider picking one of your more favorite small ministries, perhaps another podcast much like this one, and send them some encouragement by way of financial support, whether they have a formal nonprofit like Echo Ministries does, or they go through another organization such as uh, my friend Andrew Rappaport's Striving for Eternity. Uh, not only does its own materials, but he supports a lot of smaller podcasters as well. So you can donate to some of those uh, small ministries through something like Andrew and Striving for Eternity. Or um, even if it's just a couple guys sitting around doing a weekly podcast, um, much like this one, um, they could really use your support and your encouragement. So please consider, just find one that you enjoy and um, throw them some support and some, um, some encouragement. So with all of that, uh, here's my discussion with Scott Clark. Scott Clark, it's been a while since I've had you on Echo Zoe Radio, but it's a, a, definitely a pleasure to have you back. Hey, Andy, it's good to be with you. So yeah, I was just looking through the archives. It's been, uh, it was January 2016 when we talked about the Trinity. I was working on uh, essential doctrines of the faith, and and you kind of helped fill in when uh, Bob DeWay, my good friend I was doing the series with, was having some real health problems back then. and and couldn't do one and, and you uh came on for that was the last time i had you on episode 93 we're on 135 now wow well it's been too long
2: it's, yeah. it's good to
0: be with you yeah and uh good news on bob is that his health is uh is fantastic now the lord has answered prayers i mean it's it's actually honestly a miracle uh, he he's been going back and seeing doctors and nurses that have that knew where he was a few years ago and are just astonished at uh, how well he's doing so Praise God for well, that answered prayer on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's encouraging. I mean oh. it uh, it is always a blessing to see uh the you know, the providential hand of God in things. Obviously God governs, upholds everything all the time. Uh but mm-hmm. when you and we have hard providences and we have happy providences. So it's uh yeah. it's always encouraging, you know, the they're all good for us, but the happy ones are easier to accept than the hard ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But even even the hard ones though can be when you look back on them in hindsight are can be really encouraging.
2: That's right. Yeah. It's uh it's uh, in retrospect.
0: Seeing the hand of God working is just there's nothing better. Yeah. Cool. Well, I uh, was looking forward you you were on for the Trinity and then the one you came the first time you came on we talked about federal vision and the thing that stuck with me in both was how much I enjoyed whenever you'd bring up church church history so I, that's why I reached out to you as I thought it would be fun to do a show on church history and I, and I didn't it was didn't have any particular aspect of history that in mind but just something church history and uh, being a professor of church history yourself um, you know I, I can I can see why you enjoy not only that as a vocation but um, as a subject and whatnot, and and uh, so we're going to talk about the canons of Dort.
2: Well, I'm I'm always excited to talk about the canons. Uh, it um, you know the, it's a marvelous uh, document, the canons of Dort, and uh, this of course we're, uh, is the 500th or excuse me, 400th anniversary of the Synod of Dort, and uh, the fifth from 1618 to 1619, mm-hmm. and so we um, we just passed uh, the the date in May of the conclusion of the Synod of Dort, um, and uh, it's been a good opportunity this year to go back and, and look at the Synod to um, uh, rethink about what Synod said. Uh, and why they said it, it's given me an opportunity to go back and re- read Arminius again for myself, to read some of the other lesser-known uh, writers, Arminian writers or uh, Remonstrant writers, uh, to look at the, the, uh, the original remonstrance and mm-hmm. to look at, at how that was understood, uh, to read literature written by Arminian scholars— who are also taking the time, the the opportunity of this anniversary, to go back and and look at Arminius and the the Synod and so forth. So it's been good. And uh, one of the things that I've come away with, again, uh, is a greater appreciation for the pastoral quality of the Canons of Dort, you know, mm-hmm. When we think about the canons, we think about uh, maybe if, we, if we're if we aware of them, we think about arguments, uh, disagreements. Uh, some of those arguments even became uh, violent. Uh, the synod, um, or leading up to the synod, there was a possibility of a, a, a civil, religious civil war within the Netherlands uh, between the Protestants now. The Netherlands had been at war for decades with Spain, Uh, Roman Catholics trying to obliterate and almost succeeding in some cases, obliterating the Reformation in the Netherlands. But in in this case, you had an intra-Protestant argument that threatened to uh, split the Netherlands. So when we think about the Synod, we might think about theological disagreements and personal Mm -hmm. disagreements and even— uh, political and military disagreements, but uh, in fact the the canons themselves are very pastoral, very gentle for the most part. They use some strong language, uh, but they were dealing with some very important issues, and they saw th- uh, the remonstrants or the Armenians as uh, not not just as uh, disagreeing on uh, minor points, but in fact uh, calling into question the very gospel. Of Jesus Christ, that salvation is by grace alone, and grace meaning the favor of God alone, through faith alone, and faith defined as resting, receiving, and trusting in Jesus alone, um, and uh, putting us back under, in to put it in reformed terms, putting us back under the covenant of works, uh, which says, as Jesus put it in in Luke ten twenty eight, "Do this and live," and um, and of course that's bad news uh, for sinners, and so. Um, this really was a fundamental uh, debate that was going on, and and not, uh, as sometimes people would like us to think, uh, a technical debate, a debate about flowers, you know, tulips. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, this is a debate about whether, ultimately, whether Martin Luther was correct, uh, that we are saved by God's free, unconditional favor uh, through faith alone, right, resting and receiving in, the, in Christ and in his finished work, or whether we are saved by grace and faith—now we have to define those again—and our cooperation with grace, because that's what the remonstrance ultimately put to us, that God uh, has not even elected persons, but he has, as my friend Bob Godfrey says, elected conditions— and if you meet these conditions, well, uh, then you are uh, one of the elect, so long as you continue to meet those conditions. Uh, but should you uh, fail to meet those conditions, should you fail to do your part, should you fail to cooperate sufficiently, or if you should resist grace, then there's a very real possibility that you may fall away from grace and be lost now you can return but you might not return so in some ways we were being taken back to a place in the history of the church prior to the reformation and we were being told that this sort of teaching should be allowed within the reformed churches so it was a it's a significant debate and it's a debate of uh, continued relevance uh, really perennial relevance because there's always some movement. Of course, the evangelical Armenian movement is, is very alive and well in North America and in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in those circles that consider themselves reformed, uh, there are a variety of movements, the Federal Vision being one of them, but other movements as well that don't necessarily identify as Federal Vision, but are essentially saying something very much like that, where they divide salvation into two phases They say you're justified now by grace alone through faith alone, but you'll be finally saved. And they say this very flatly, and they use this language, you will be finally saved through works. And these are some fairly well-known evangelical organizations and teachers using that language and in that way calling the Reformation very
0: much into question. Would that be a kind of a a confusion then of uh, justification and sanctification?
2: Well, it is. Um, it is that, a confusion of justification and sanctification. It's a confusion of law and gospel, mm-hmm. and uh, it is a, a, a confusion of the covenant of grace with a covenant of works. So in Reformed theology, we say that in in creation, we were under a covenant of works. And God said to Adam, you know, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And um, by implication, you must obey to enter into glory, right? There were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Mm -hmm. And the tree of life uh, symbolized a future uh, blessed state of existence. Uh, And Adam represented all of humanity in the garden. And all Adam had to do was uh, obey. And he was made so that he could obey but miraculously, or sadly, tragically, better I guess is a better way to put it, he chose to disobey, and in so doing, as Paul says in Romans five, plunged himself and us into uh, death and destruction. Uh, and God made, after the fall, uh, with Adam and Eve and and us, all all of His elect, uh, in uh, Adam, uh, a covenant of grace, made a promise of a coming Savior, the the seed of the woman will come, and he will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent, the serpent will strike his heel in Genesis 3.15, and that promise gets repeated in a variety of ways in the history of redemption. It gets repeated to Noah in Genesis 7, gets repeated to Abraham in Genesis 12, and in Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, and again and again through the history of redemption, this promise that a Savior is coming. And that God has uh, entered into a relationship, a saving relationship with a, with his people, and uh, uh, that gets uh, made and administered through types and shadows in the history of salvation and finally fulfilled, as we say in the Heidelberg Catechism, in God's well-beloved Son, Jesus,
1: mm-hmm. in the
2: incarnation, obedience, and death uh, of Christ. So that's the covenant of grace. And in the covenant of grace, God says, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. I will enter into a gracious relationship with you. And a covenant of grace is fundamentally gracious. It's not a legal covenant. It has consequences, but it's not a legal covenant. The covenant of works is a legal covenant. And, what the, uh, and the Remonstrants were well aware of this distinction, and they learned this covenant theology, and they fundamentally rejected it. And they f- did what a lot of people do. They turned, or tried to turn, if they could, the covenant of grace into a covenant of works. And they said, well, God has done his part. Okay, well, so far, so good. That sounds like grace. But then they would say, but you have to do your part. And the moment you add that to the covenant of grace, it's no longer a covenant of grace, Um, right? Now, so we we would certainly agree that uh, God having done his part and graciously saved us, we ought to respond to that grace uh, you know, with all of our hearts and with gratitude, we ought to ask, oh, Lord, what what would you have us do? And and as mm-hmm. Luther said before God's ever said, do, we have already done because mm-hmm. we are new people and, and we love the Lord and we want to serve him and we want to obey him and we want to glorify him. And, uh, and so that's why in the second half of Paul's epistles, he often gives us very clear moral instruction. And sometimes, uh, as in Ephesians, he just exposits the Ten Commandments for us as the rule for the Christian faith and the Christian life. So we're certainly in favor of that, but not as a condition of entering into a state of blessedness and not as a condition of our justification with God. And, and of course, that's what the Remonstrants did. They put us back under these conditions in order to be justified and in order uh, to be saved.
0: Now, um, the canons of Dort really were an answer, as you've been d- describing, an answer to the remonstrants who were the successors to Arminius. Uh, as I was kind of listening through some of the, you, you've done some other podcasts, you did Office Hours uh, with Bob Godfrey and, and another one that wrote, was it just a week or two ago, I think even. um, And uh, you're talking about this, it, it kind of surprised me not knowing a ton of history that Arminius was actually a reformed minister for his whole life.
2: And yeah, that's right.
0: That w- that was surprising to me. To I I guess I thought maybe he was more of a, um, uh, someone kind of more on the outside, maybe like an Anabaptist style, where they were, um, maybe never in agreement.
2: Well, that's right. Uh, Arminius was a Reformed minister, and as people are are quick to note, died in in good standing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, he certainly died in the midst of great controversy, but technically in good standing uh, in the Reformed churches uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, He was uh, raised in in the Reformed uh, church, and uh, when his um, family was wiped out by the Romanists, the Spanish, um, he he was taken under... um, In fact, under the wing of a wealthy family who, and uh, people—reformed people—sent him off uh, to—helped him to finish his university and then sent him off to seminary, we would say. Sent him to Geneva so he could study and prepare to become a minister and uh, enabled him to travel, which he did while he was in Geneva. And uh, in fact, it was some of that traveling that may have contributed to uh, some of his theological developments. That's a little bit speculative. Nobody knows for sure exactly when or or how— um, but uh, almost certainly it was the, the murder of his family by the Spanish that created a great theological crisis for Arminius since he began to ask himself, well, if God is just and good and he permitted this, uh, how, how do we reconcile God's uh, justice and his goodness to acts of evil and mm-hmm. set himself to work <laughs> on the problem of of evil and to defend God um from the charge that he's the author of evil, and it's probably that that really fundamentally well—that's a his humongous
0: theology. question that's been asked over the last five hundred years. Wow,
2: well, it's a—it's a question that's been asked uh, since the Book of Job. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, who knows when the Book of Job was written? But you know, if we think maybe it's sometime around the time of Abraham, or perhaps mm-hmm. earlier, you know, uh, who, who really knows? But uh, m- probably, uh, you know. I think of it as being a four thousand year old book, and so yeah. obviously this is a question that's troubled us as human beings uh, for a since very the long fall, time, really, in, yeah. in, in some ways. And and of course, Paul deals with it in Romans chapter nine. You know, how can God be sovereign and humans be responsible? And Paul says, you know, uh, listen, I, I I'd have to I could answer that question for you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> uh, or, or if I did answer the question, it would kill you because it. I don't. I, I truly believe, as a pastor, uh, that I don't think we're capable of understanding uh, the answer. Mm-hmm. I, I think the answer, and God never actually answers that question. He yeah. Um, um, and I think that's intentional on His part. But so, uh, but, but we see. You're, but it, you're certainly right.
0: We see a lot of people coming up with all kinds of different. Um, it ends up being strains of arminianism to try to answer that question you know we end up with open theism we end up with modalism or uh, not modalism um what's the, Uh po- sorry
2: yes you yeah you're talking about molinism
0: molinism uh, yeah molinism yeah, that's uh, what i was middle, meant, that's what i meant to say middle right? knowledge yeah uh, i'm thinking and of— that's middle...
2: exactly what arminius did he arminius turned to middle knowledge and essentially abandoned the reformed doctrine of god uh, in favor of a different doctrine of God, mm-hmm. a, a, a version of divine human relations that was formulated by a Jesuit theologian named Molina, who posited that um, where, the, or, where really the Orthodox had said uh, on both sides, Roman and, and Protestant had said hitherto, uh, there are two kinds of knowledge. Uh, there's God's uh, natural knowledge, wherein he knows himself, and there's his free knowledge where he knows everything that's not himself, everything that he has created. And Molinus said, well, wait a minute, there's a third kind of knowledge. We'll call it middle knowledge. And in that middle knowledge, God is said to know what what free uh, human beings, uh, contingent creatures, uh, might do. But he doesn't know what they will do. And he arranges all the circumstances so that they more or less can't do anything but but a certain thing, but he doesn't know with certainty what they will do. Mm -hmm. And to some very small degree, Molina posited that uh, God is contingent upon our free choices, so that uh, we have a kind of freedom, he posited, uh, that very few people had ever posited before, Molina. And uh, and so Arminius embraced this idea that there are uh, things that humans choose to do that God has not uh, determined from all eternity— And uh, they they do them freely. Now, there's a sense in which we've always said, yes, human beings are free. Not free relative to to God, but but free relative to other creatures. And uh, Molina extended that to, to God in a small way. But, of course, if God's a little contingent, uh, it's like being hey. a little bit pregnant yeah exactly right? you're you're a lot contingent <laughs> yeah. well uh, it was a kind of a radical view and it was attacked by other roman theologians and, and of course it was attacked and criticized by reformed uh, theologians Turretin attacked it uh, the Dutch reformed theologian Gismertus fucius attacked it and um and all and um it's uh, it's critiqued in uh, I believe the uh, uh, Helvetic consensus formula from 1675, and lots of Reformed writers uh, re- mm-hmm. rejected it. But those are some some notable authors, fucius and Turretin, and uh, Heidegger, J.H. Heidegger. Um, so okay. uh, Arminius embraces this and really begins to revise his theology, uh, either while he's in mm-hmm. seminary or after. It's not entirely clear— uh, while he was in Geneva, he was regarded as an Orthodox theologian uh, or Orthodox student. I've read his student disputation. There's nothing unusual in it. He he got a letter of uh, recommendation, or maybe more than one, but certainly one, from Theodore Beza. So there's no evidence of any real tension between Beza and uh, Arminius. Uh, people have posited that, but that seems mostly to be speculative more than than actual historical fact. Mm-hmm. And um, So by the time Arminius finally did become a pastor in 1587, uh, when he was uh, ordained in Amsterdam and and given a call to a church, uh, his theology was already uh, in uh, process, pretty significant process of change, I think. Okay. And and he begins uh, right away, and maybe not very wisely, but uh, nobody ever accused Arminius. uh, He's been accused of a lot of things, of being clever, of being duplicitous, uh, of, of uh, being intelligent and and uh, skilled and and uh, beloved and all sorts of things, but uh, he's never been accused of being particularly judicious or wise. <laughs> um, and uh, so he, he started uh, uh, preaching through Romans, and and right away uh, he, it was it was controversial, and he got in trouble with his own church, with his own uh, elders, and the other ministers, and with some of the other ministers in in town in the in the um, Regional association they had of uh, of churches they called it a classis, we might know it as a presbytery, right? Where you're sort of accountable to the other ministers and the other elders, and uh, there was controversy there, controversy in the church. Uh, He posited that Romans seven isn't about uh, the Christian. Paul is not talking about himself as a Christian. He's talking about uh, a persona. Arminius said that uh, Paul had adopted Mm -hmm. a persona, a way of uh, of representing himself. But it's not he himself, and uh, Arminius knew that Paul couldn't be speaking as a Christian there in, uh, in Romans 7. And he, he revised uh, the Reformed view of Romans 9, rejected Calvin not only on Romans 7, but on Romans 9. And uh, he posited in his exposition of Romans 9, and you can see this in his writings, that uh, election is conditioned upon God's uh, foresight— of what you will do. It's not unconditional. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, as, as I said, my, my colleague Bob Godfrey has said, uh, I think very well, that in, in fact, in Arminius's theology and in remonstrant theology, perhaps it's even truer, that uh, God doesn't, in their view, elect people, right? And, and in our understanding, in and Augustine's and, and I think Paul's and certainly yeah. in the understanding of the Reformed churches, uh, we think that God has known his elect in Christ from all eternity, and he elects them unconditionally. And again, this is not right. an idiosyncratic view. This is the view you find in Augustine. Uh, I would say it's in, uh, in Paul in Romans 9 and in, in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 2 and elsewhere. Um, I could trace it all, all through Scripture, but that would be another program.
1: Yeah. And uh,
2: th- this is Augustine's view. Uh, this is the view of Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. He very explicitly says that election is not conditioned on anything in us or foreseen in us or done by us. And in fact, uh, Uh, Thomas Aquinas also taught the doctrine of reprobation, that there are fallen people in the world whom God has decided from all eternity to uh, leave in their sins. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that would be the view that I would also see in Augustine. And uh, that became the Reformed view, the dominant Reformed view, and the confessional Reformed view. And uh, Arminius said, "Ah, I don't accept any of that. Um, I don't accept any of the theories uh, of of how the decree works. There are two major theories— the infralapsarian and the superlapsarian and it's uh, it can get a, we can get into the weeds a little bit here uh-huh. but to put it very simply in the superlapsarian view which is the view that everyone seems to discuss as if we all the all the the uh, reformed churches held this view and of course they don't it's a minority view uh, but the superlapsarian view says that God looks down as it were Uh, uh, looks into the future, I guess we can put it that way. We're we're talking about God's decree from all eternity, so there's no time yet. Uh And logically, uh, he considers the elect as possibly created, not actually. They're not considered as actually created. And out of of the possible potential human beings that will come into existence, some of them he elects and others he reprobates. And uh, that's the, a, a really rough account of the supralapsarian view. There are varieties of it, and things get a little more complicated. But the dominant Reformed view that, that Arminius also rejected is the infralapsarian view. And infra means uh, within the fall. So the supra means above the fall, or, or election is considered without the fall in view. And in the infralapsarian view— uh, we are said to be created again. This is relative to the decree, not relative to history. Right. This is a so logical in the mind progression, of God, as it were.
0: Um. Say again. Oh, this is a logical progression, not a not a cr- uh, chronological progression. That's right. This is
2: before time, before history. This is a logical distinction and and not a historical distinction. So we are. He, God is said to consider human beings as created, and fallen, and out of the fallen mass of humanity, He has. Uh, graciously elected some uh, not for anything in them or done by them or foreseen in them and others he allows to remain in their in their sins and those are, are said to be the reprobate and so uh, that's the dominant reformed view the infralapsarian view that that the fall is in view when election is considered and um, so that that's um, uh, that that's the view that virtually all the reformed churches held and taught um,
0: well, I was going to ask you. Um, so, Arminius died, and about ten years before the Canons of Dort, uh, was there was a lot of the the doctrines that they were articulating. Uh, the response was that towards Arminius personally, or was it, or had there been some evolution amongst the Remonstrants?
2: Well, that's just it. Uh, it you know, it's that's a great question, and the answer is. Uh, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, Arminius was a lightning rod of of um, for criticism because, of course, he formulated a, a movement, and uh, I think somewhat intentionally so, to try to reform or change reformed theology in uh, recognizably uh, medieval ways,
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: taking reformed theology back to some of the uh, ideas that against which Luther had reacted, some of the very specific ideas that Luther had react, against which Luther had reacted, namely that God helps those who help themselves, or <laughs> to those who do what lies within them, God denies not grace. And Arminius, in effect, set up a system where if you do what lies within you, God will meet that with grace. With grace, and uh, so that really is a fundamental undermining of the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. So in 1610, uh, some of his followers, as you say, the next year after Arminius died in 1609, uh, in 1610 the Remonstrants published five uh, articles, and that mm-hmm. is why there are five points in the Canons of Dort. Five heads of doctrine. So the the reform didn't just arbitrarily come up with five points. And by the way, uh, there's no talk of tulips. Uh, the whole business of of uh, uh, reducing the five points to T U L I P: total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. However useful that may be to help people remember the five points, um, it's really a different order than than the remonstrants used, and consequently, it's a different order than the Reformed used in, in responding. And um, so they posited the, uh, five articles, and, and uh, if the reader or the listener wants to see these, uh, you can see them at uh, rscottclark.org. There's a page of Reformed Confessions, and uh, for historical purposes, I have the five points of the, of the remonstrance there. And, uh, and I'll put and, a link uh,
0: in the show notes, it will be at echozoid.com/135. slash 135 for a really right. easy way to find that. Extra click, but Fabulous. it'll get you there.
2: And I'll yeah, so that yeah, so that's good. If people read what the what the canons were responding to, and uh, essentially to boil down the the remonstrance, uh, it, for example, if you uh, if you just walk through them, they redefine sin uh, and the effect of the fall. They redefine grace. They redefine faith, and uh, ultimately they they end up redefining the nature of this of salvation. So that for example, in the third article. It, Taken by itself in isolation, uh, it sounds okay, but when you get to the fourth article, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that Article 4 says that this grace of God is the beginning, continuance, and accomplishment of and good, or a good, even to this extent, that the regenerate man himself, without prevenient or assisting, awakening, following, and cooperative grace, um, can't— uh, think or will or do good, nor withstand any temptations to evil, right? Um, well, you have to read the remonstrance uh, and the remonstrance, so the the writers and the document itself, and just the way you have to read Arminius, and, and you have to read Arminius very, very carefully. Um, he wrote in a very careful, academic, uh, professional way, but... Um, people have a tendency to sort of gloss over it and assume they, they know what he, he means, and, and you can't do that. Right. Uh, same thing is true with, the, with the, uh, uh, the, the five points of the remonstrance. If you read this very carefully, uh, what they've done is they've changed the nature of grace. Mm. So that grace now isn't free and unconditional and sovereign and liberating uh, for helpless dead sinners. It is something that comes alongside those uh, who are willing to do their part, and that's a fundamental change uh, in in uh, in the definition of grace. And as I say, it's a return in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways to the very pre-Reformation ideas uh, to which we rebelled uh, in the Protestant uh, Reformation. And of course, Article Five is perhaps the most notorious. And in Article Five, they say, "Well, we really don't know what we think about." Um, you know, falling away. We think it might be possible uh, that you could fall away from grace, uh, but we're not sure what we think. Well, that, of course, was disingenuous. They did know what they thought. Arminius, uh, if you read him uh, carefully, did, in fact, uh, postulate that we can fall from grace and uh, and irretrievably so. Not just that we would fall into sin, but that, you could, that grace is such that it can be resisted. So the grace mm-hmm. is not sovereign anymore. And uh, so, um, and of course, one of the other... Um, things that they postulated is that Christ died uh, for all men and every man. Uh, and, and so what that does is it it means that Jesus didn't die to accomplish the salvation of those for whom he came. He died simply to make salvation available, available yeah. to those who, who do their part. Um, so there there's a whole series of changes
0: to— Well, then when you uh, can—obviously, can obviously we see how that ends up kind of evolving into universalism then, too.
2: Well, yes, and some of the remonstrants uh, became
1: universalists, mm-hmm. not,
2: you know, so that the there's a universalizing tendency already from the beginning of sure. uh, of remonstrant theology.
0: Sure. Hey, I had just two more questions for you. One of them is kind of big, but I got a maybe more of a humorous and quick question first, and that is, um, you, you brought up the the, the five points and tulip. Have you ever heard of uh, of of the of instead of tulip bacon?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no so, what is this
0: somebody rewrote it so that instead of tulip it's bacon bad people okay and b is bad people a is already elected c is completely atoned for o is overwhelming called or overwhelmingly called i don't know if they wrote that right and then n is never falling away Just well kind of,
2: there's there, yeah <laughs> there's something to that I mean, i'd have to give that some thought um uh, i um
0: I see that pop up from time. You, yeah. know, you know, we Americans love our bacon. So,
2: <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> as well, as well we should. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the The proper uh, order of the five uh, points of the Senate of Dort is: all tip, all tip, unconditional election, limited atonement. And uh, and uh, total depravity and, and irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. So that the first thing that we want to say, and, and of course we do repeat ourselves through these canons, and so there's some overlap, quite a bit of overlap really, uh, in them. And um, and if the listener wants to to see, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll we'll post a link on the on the Echo Zoe page of mm-hmm. um, of the articles that I just I just finished uh, thirty three pieces. So yeah, each one they- is probably. More than a thousand words. So you're looking at a relatively small, a small book, but a reasonably sized book. Yeah, you know, that's uh, why I was
0: reading it through it and I, I only got through the first two, but um, I, I got to wondering is this big enough that you could actually publish it? Because you are a published maybe author, right? <laughs>
2: I am. I am. So nope. who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm working on a commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism right now, and uh, so maybe someday I'll gather these <laughs> up and make them into a commentary. My my friend and colleague Bob Godfrey has just published a, a very brief commentary on the canons of Dort called Saving the Reformation, and I hi- I highly uh, recommend that. Uh, yep. But uh, the, uh, the first thing that we say in the canons, uh, uh, first thing we want to talk about is our sinfulness— and God's unconditional grace. And that's a theme that resonates all through the canons, that the men who traveled to the Synod of Dort from uh, the British Isles and from what we would think of as Germany and um, uh, and from Switzerland, uh, including Geneva and uh, other places in, in Switzerland, and, uh, and of course, as I say, from across the Netherlands, all those uh Uh, delegates who came, whether they were theological delegates or pastoral delegates or civil delegates—remember, this is during the the time of the church state uh, in in uh, Europe—they all gathered to reaffirm uh, God's sovereign, unconditional, free grace to sinners in Christ. And as you were saying with Bacon, you know, that we are really bad, and the Jesus came and obeyed in the place of sinners, and he died in the place of sinners. He was raised for the justification of sinners. Uh, Christ died for the ungodly, Paul says. Mm-hmm. And uh, God has uh, elected out of a fallen sinful mass of humanity uh, a great number of of uh, people to uh, come to new life and true faith and to have a living uh, relationship with the risen Christ. And And really, that that's the heartbeat in some ways of the— of the canons of Dord and and of the, as I say, of the synod uh, who met and dealt with lots of things, pastoral issues, theological issues, practical issues, but but the great work of which was to stand up for the gospel and to reassert the gospel in five heads of doctrine, right? And Mm -hmm. as I say, the organization is ultip unconditional election, and then limited atonement to say that Christ came to die for his people. He didn't die simply to make salvation possible. He died to accomplish Right. salvation. Uh, so that's I, I like that part of bacon right a yep uh, he actually accomplished it already um, elected a
0: was al- al- yeah, we're, already yeah so already elected we're,
2: yeah we're already elected and that uh, and that the uh, Christ accomplished redemption for us mm-hmm. he didn't simply make it possible so if you if, if you're in a place where you're hearing that Jesus died to make it possible mm-hmm. and uh, all you need to do is your part uh, you're not in a place where the gospel is being unequivocally and clearly uh, taught and preached, and um, you yeah. need to find a place where it is. Because um, the good news is that, that Jesus came to lay down his life for his sheep, and he did do that, and um, and he and no one can snatch his sheep out of his hand.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So there, there's nothing this business of making it possible, uh, assumes things about us that are not true. Yeah. Um, if I bring a glass of water to a graveyard, I've made it possible for a corpse to drink. <laughs> right? I've, I've done my part. Yep. Uh, but of course, it won't do any good because the people to whom I'm offering the water can't get out of the grave because they're dead. Yep. And uh, th- that's our state in Adam. Outside of Christ, we're dead. We're not just wounded, we're not just ill we are dead in sins and trespasses. And of course, that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, uh, dead in sins and trespasses. And, um, uh, and so sin God. Absolutely. Uh, so it, uh, I, I find, uh, the canons very encouraging, uh, in, in that regard because they're very realistic about who we are, what we are. And, um, and they're passionate about getting it right, and and they're passionate that we should have assurance that we shouldn't be sitting around wondering, "Am I elect?" No, they they we, they don't want us to think that way at all. They want us to think, uh, "Do I believe?" Well, yes, I do. Uh, yes, I believe. Well, you believe because God loved you from all eternity, and He sent His Holy Spirit, gave you new life, true faith, united you to Christ, and is going to keep you to the very end. Now mm-hmm. live in
0: light of that, right? It's a it's actually a very simple program. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, and, and I just celebrated, uh, 20 years as a believer and, and, um, I, am still, you know, day by day learning that and relearning that. And, and, uh, it's easy to lose sight of that, how simple it is, but, um, I, 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 I thank so much for the topic. I, you know, we just came out of, uh, 2017. We looked at the 500th anniversary of the 95 theses and, and celebrating the birth of the reformation. And, and so it, I, it, the canons of Dort weren't something I've ever studied really. And so I appreciate bringing that to light. And, and it's interesting that we're just two years later and now celebrating another anniversary in that regard,
2: well, I hope everybody will take some time and, and read the canons for themselves. Honestly, the canons make really good devotional material. Uh-huh. There are all these devotional booklets that people put out, and uh, that's great uh, if they're if it's good stuff. But um, this is very thoughtful stuff, and it's actually in small sort of bite sized uh, bits that you can read and digest. And um, not only are there uh, positive expositions in the canons of of the gospel. And uh, of, you know, grace and the atonement and the perseverance of the saints and all of those things, um, and of course, of, and of our sin. But there are uh, uh, sections where they have rejection of errors. And uh, you think, well, that's an odd thing to have devotions over. Well, uh, it's good and, and useful to know the, the, the questions that were being faced yeah. And that are still around. And, uh, well, that's what I enjoy eliminated. so much
0: about church history is seeing, you know, a lot of the issues we're dealing with that have been dealt with countless times over the last, you know, just since the Reformation. But, I mean, yeah, you can go back all the way to, to the, the time of the apostles, but um, we don't have new issues. They're all being—they're just kind of brought back in new form, but they're the same old issues.
2: Well, that's right. And even if somebody didn't want to read The Rejection of Errors—and I could understand that— uh, just reading the canons mm-hmm. and 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 letting uh, us be instructed again yeah. by our forefathers in the faith, and uh, and and to be edified and uh, and to be informed and and driven back to Scripture, uh, which was their intent, mm-hmm. and and uh, pointed to Christ and uh, faith in Christ, trust in Christ. Uh, those things are always uh, uh, beyond useful, really. So, uh, yeah, I. I uh,
0: well it's not super long. I'm just scrolling through your page here and um, you know I've <laughs> I think I've seen uh, Twitter threads that are not quite as long as this or, or, you know, <laughs> so, uh, or yeah. I should say just a little longer than this. Uh, I mean, it's not super short, but it's not super long either. it's it's you could sit down and read it in a sitting for sure.
2: Oh sure, absolutely the yeah, the canons are not very long and, uh, and if you're doing it a little bit at a time, uh, then you, you could certainly do that. And uh, and if you need uh, help, you know, Bob Godfrey's book is great. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there are those articles um, that, you, that you'll that you link to on the Abounding Grace uh, website, too.
0: Yep, I'll definitely link to that, com slash 135, and then down in the additional resources section towards the bottom, I'll have that. But uh. Thanks so much, Scott. I don't want to take too much of your time, and uh, I know we're heading into a weekend, and um, I don't know how San Diego is, but we've got some beautiful weather here in Minnesota. <laughs>
2: It's gorgeous right now. It's It's been a little cloudy this month, uh, June so far, but uh, um, the sun was out early today, so it's been beautiful. And, and uh, the last few days, actually, have been very nice. It's a little warm here. Not terribly. I'd say maybe low 80s. Um, and uh, yesterday, maybe it was 74, 75, so... Well, we've
0: got very similar yeah. weather here.
2: Yeah, very nice.
0: This, our, this uh, is our time of year. This is...
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how are the mosquitoes and the flies yet in Minnesota? Well, you
0: know, um, if if you're not careful, you can get eaten alive. Um, okay, so it- I discovered a couple of years ago a wonderful product called Cutter Cutter uh, Backyard Bug Control, and it comes yeah. in a bottle that you hook up to your hose and you spray your lawn with it, just like you'd spray weeds. And when I apply that to my lawn, I can usually get about six weeks of uh, very little bugs, very few mosquitoes. Oh, there you go. So there uh, you
2: go. You just have that's to that's been to a lifesaver.
0: I mean, you can't take that with you uh, if you go up north or you know you go to go camping or whatever. You, you can't exactly spray the campground down, but um, they do have a fogger, uh, like an aerosol can with fogger that is uh, similar, but um, <laughs> very necessary this time we, of year.
2: <laughs> sometime in the early seventies. I don't. I'm not sure. You know, 71, 72, somewhere in there. I was up in the Boundary Waters, and um, that's where I learned to fish. And uh-huh. spent two weeks canoeing. Um, went to Ely, and then we went from Ely. We canoed up toward Canada, and uh, it was uh, it was gorgeous. But I I do think it, one of the is. kids we were with disappeared. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was um, it was a couple of of uh, giant flies that. Um, <laughs> Well the joke away, is that
0: w- the joke is that the mosquito is our state bird.
2: Yes, exactly. Well, that's right. Yeah, mosquitoes. Uh those the... and, and leeches. I I saw oh. uh, the big I saw the biggest leech uh, I've ever seen in my life. Um fortunately, it wasn't on me, so that was good. Uh a couple of the older boys were carrying a, a leech. Uh I thought it was a uh, a gopher or something it was a leech.
0: <laughs> I had one. I was about um I want to say about five or six years old. And um, my family used to, my dad worked on the road. And in the summertime, we, we had a pop up camper trailer and we would just travel Western Minnesota and, and go camping while he was off doing sales jobs. And so we'd go from state park to state park. And there's one up in Northwest Minnesota, kind of up near Fargo. And um, I had been swimming in a, there was a little man made uh, swimming hole. It, and it got leeches. I came up out of the water. Like, again, I'm five, six years old. And the, the, life, uh, the lifeguard asked, what's that on your foot? And we looked down. It's not, yeah. just, it's not just a leech. It's a leech having babies on my foot. Oh. <laughs> so I ended up with like this huge one. And then there were like hundreds of these teeny tiny little ones coming out.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> it it was, sounds like a horror movie. It was. <laughs> oh, that's terrible.
0: So they took oh, me in the bathroom oh. and they were pouring uh, table salt on it like crazy, and they just shovel up.
2: I bet they were. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cut. Cut off his foot. The <laughs> foot has to go. Yeah. It's it's unclean. It's diseased.
0: It's unclean. There you go. Yeah.
2: Yuck. <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, you have a good summer in. Uh, in yeah. The, you, in the land of lakes.
0: You too. Uh, thanks so much. All right.
1: Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com.
0: That wraps up episode 135. Thanks for listening to EchoZoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 135. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect to EchoZoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to EchoZoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out by sharing and retweeting the announcements to your favorite episodes. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the August episode of EchoZoe Radio.